0: When I was growing up, the kind of radio I listened to was, uh, I grew up on a fairly isolated reserve, so the radio we got was from town, geared towards the uh, the white townsfolk, but there was also a really great thing, was because the, the local town where the radio station was at uh, was surrounded by Indian reserves.
1: Um, I joined CBC in 2008 as an associate producer, so I produced four different radio Shows so uh, I produced Revision Quest, um, Trailbreakers, which was a summer series, and then I produced a season. It was called Indian Summer, Unreserved, and I produced three seasons of a podcast called Ab Dash Originals.
2: Uh, my name is Kate Friesen. I work at CBC in Winnipeg, and I'm the senior producer of the CBC Aboriginal Unit, which uh, makes both digital content. And radio content through Unreserved.
3: In this episode of Indians on the Airwaves, we hear from the newsmakers and groundbreakers of Native radio. Without question, Native leaders, territory defenders, and Indigenous achievers are featured in the news more prominently these days. But who is telling their stories? And how does who tell the stories affect the tone of Native news? We hear from three prominent CBC broadcasters and producers, Daryl Dennis, Kim Wheeler, and Kate Friesen, as they tell their story as news makers
0: so uh the only sort of uh, uh nativeness we got on the radio was when they would do what was called the the community uh community messages which i'm sure a lot of small towns in canada have this so it'd be like uh, as we were taking the as we were getting ready for, to catch the bus to go to school in the morning we would hear the community messages which would be like you know charlie billy boy your wife uh, just had her baby in the uh, so come and pick her up or you know it's like uh uh jo- johnny douglas go pick up your Uh, your husband uh, you know and just uh, because she made bail so you know so it's all these sort of things because these communities were so uh, were so remote um, we got our messages and we got our phone calls and our communication through the radio because a lot of the natives were living in the, living in the bush or on the trap line or whatever. So that was the only way we, they would know to come back in and, you know, take care of their families and that sort of thing. So that was really the only sort of um, aboriginality I had in the radio in, in the morning. And, and so in between, you know, sort of uh, uh, white pop songs, you know. So it was, that was kind of my experience with radio when I was growing up.
2: When I grew up in a really small Mennonite community in in, uh, in southern Manitoba, and we only listen we we listened very rarely at that point to CBC. We listened to a local uh, um, CFAM, and they would they would have everything from in the morning. They had the funeral announcements, which my parents listened to. It's, it's almost like community radio, right? Like who's died, <laughs> and I listened to Aunt Ollie. Uh, which was the you know the children's show you know and the radio was on in the background there was him singing there was there was you know it was it was kind of like community radio and then when I became later on in my 20s CBC was you know was the place I went to all the time it really was a huge part of how I got my information especially radio Um, and so was a huge fan so to finally work at CBC was a really amazing thing for me. So I came into radio uh, from being a musician. And I worked as a singer-songwriter. Um, and then I landed a show on a station called CJRT in Toronto. And I had a show called Absolutely Folk, because I was coming from the folk community. I'd never done radio before. Um, and, and I fell in love with radio. Because I realized that just like performing, radio is about making a, a, a strong connection. It's, it's very intimate. It's extremely personal. And it is, um, yeah, it's making something happen between people. So when I went into a radio booth the first time in the first couple of shows, I was speaking to everybody. Everybody. And then I realized it was just like being across the table from someone or being in a really intimate setting where I was sharing something and getting something back and and from that moment on, I like you knew radio's magic, whether it's talking about news or whether it's telling a personal story or hearing music it's 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 an we we hear it in really intimate settings in our kitchens and in our in our bedrooms and 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 now like i guess through our through our earphones but um it has, it has a magic that to me, I've worked in online, I haven't really worked in TV, not super interested to tell you the truth, but radio has that, that intimate sense that, um, that I think is extremely powerful and isn't going away.
1: Oh, my parents always had the radio on, but they always had talk radio on. So they always had, uh, here in Winnipeg, it's called CJOB, which is a local news and talk radio station. So they always listened to that. And they always, you know, they played music, but they played stuff like Glenn Miller. So um, that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that was in my, you know, my subconscious as I wandered in and out of the kitchen at, at the cottage or when we got into the car. That was the only time we really listened to, um, to top 40 radio. was when, And mostly when, if I was in my sister's car, I don't really remember what my parents listened to. There was probably always a fight over who was going to choose the radio station.
3: In February of 1999, the CRTC granted a broadcast license to APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network. And in September of that year, APTN is launched nationally to over nine million homes across the nation. Programming includes native news produced by native journalists. I've heard news on APTN I know I wouldn't hear on any other national newscast. So what makes a native news story told by a native broadcaster so unique?
1: I think first off, you can probably hear it in their voice, in their intonation, um, in their accent. And then you can hear it in the, the word choice, the language, you know, what, what words they use to describe the community, right? That's where you go, oh, this person's, you know, this person is native. Because you can, you can just tell, you can tell the difference. And you can tell, like for me, I can hear the empathy and the sympathy. And when non, you know, when the majority of non-Native journalists are telling a Native story, they're just telling it like any other news story. And there's no, there's no connection there.
0: And then, right before I was going out to Winnipeg to really develop the show, uh, I was watching, uh, a, you know, the the show MythBusters, um, where they they take, you know, common, you know. Uh, urban legends and they 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 put them to the test and I was thinking you know we're having kind of a tough time figuring out what to do with the show and there's supposed to be a history element so I thought what about a n- myth busting about you know native people so um you know I went we went to Winnipeg and we sort of developed that and and you know we had the history element so it, it turned into this you know the show you know it working with the crew there about myth busting uh stereotypes and misper- misconceptions about native people People, getting sort of the historical basis for that, why people think that, and that's sort of where we where we developed the show and had we had the history element because that was supposed to be part of it because our funding was from Heritage Canada at some point. Um, so yeah, so we just developed it along those terms, and then uh, we talked about how I wanted to have you know I didn't want this to be just an interview show or a series show. I wanted there to be sketches. I wanted there to be uh, you know songs and and that sort of thing. Make it really entertaining, and I think that that was really uh it was an approach that i think the cbc because they're they're used to being very conservative and and especially aboriginal issues are are supposed to be treated with uh with a certain you know a tone that i think a lot of them were kind of nervous when we were doing these song spoofs about like residential schools and and you know and that sort of thing they're like hey can we do that and it's like well, our entire crew you know is pretty much all aboriginal that sort of thing but um we got compared a lot in the beginning to uh thomas king's dead dog cafe in tone um and that was that was kind of interesting because that was a long time ago but that's where really uh a lot of people the cbc audiences realized that it was okay to laugh laugh along with aboriginal people and that sort of thing so they they kind of paved the way for us.
2: you know it it doesn't seem like it's that long ago because the first thing i think of is dead dog cafe loved it loved dead dog cafe
3: Morning, Gracie.
1: Morning.
0: Jasper called, said he has something to show me.
2: Back table.
0: Hi, Jasper. Hey, Tom. You're just in time. What's all this? <laughs> Remember that grant I applied for? The photography grant? No. The one on power music. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> I didn't get it. Oh. Well, that's too bad. I got my own radio show instead. You got what? My own radio show. CBC is gonna broadcast it. CBC? wow that's that's great
2: you boys want some coffee love the humor um, uh love Thomas King I and and now to read Thomas King cuz back then I just thought he was this comedian guy and now it's like a holy like inconvenient Indian like amazing amazing book that is probably besides remembering seeing Buffy st. Marie on Sesame Street um, and well, that's TV that that would be my first radio memory. And it's not, that's not even that long ago. That was the 1990s. Well, Unreserved started off as more what I would call a straight ahead current affairs show and how we made our choices because we were we had we had very few resources was what have we heard this week <laughs> that we can repurpose because we actually listen to stuff from regions right across the country and gather it as we've gotten. Um, a little more a little more resource and since Kim Wheeler's come on board as well so we have like another um, somebody else to work and gather material we've actually and we've solidified a bit more of our identity so we're less current affairs and more what we call is I want to introduce you to somebody you may never have met before and through that storytelling we we get out news and issues so we're really about the people uh, that are on the ground and that are part of the news, in quotes, air quotes. I know that our team doesn't like to use the people behind the headlines, so I'm really trying to avoid that, but (laughs) that's a more succinct way of saying, you know. So when it comes to truth and reconciliation, this week we talked to Ted Fontaine, who's a survivor, uh, when it comes to I'm just thinking about this last week's show, when it comes to missing and murdered Indigenous women, this week we actually talked to David Alexander Robertson, Robertson, who just uh, put out a graphic novel about Helen Betty Osborne. But we've also we also talked to, um, you know. Uh, to the women who are organizing, uh, you know the, the, the strawberry ceremony. Let's get somebody in to explain the strawberry ceremony and, and talk about talk about it. So it, it takes it out of the big picture and puts it into back into that intimate sense that the radio is all about. Mm-hmm. Is I'm going to talk to you. You're in their kitchen. This week
1: we interviewed a residential school survivor. Right. So with news they're going to you know and they're going to talk to that residential school survivor and they're going to do you know a 5 to 7 minute interview and and they're going to try and keep them focused and the you know they would you know especially if you're doing live radio or you're on a show with live radio the host knows how to interrupt people and focus them right we let our our guest um, Ted Fontaine we let him speak for 45 minutes with us and and we knew and he knew his interview was probably going to be cut down somewhere between that five and you know 10 minute mark and he knew that because he said it afterwards before even asking me right you know that was the difference that we know as indigenous people when we have our elders and we have survivors and we have people who are sharing their stories with us, we can't cut them off you can't say, okay but let's just focus it back you can't do that, you have to you know, they're giving he was giving us a gift and we weren't about to say okay actually your gift isn't good enough so let's just, you know we want your gift but we want it in the way we want it where we were like we will sit and wait and you will tell us your story and we will quietly accept what you're offering us and and I think that's the difference between when you hear you hear those stories like you just you have to let them go you have to let them say what they have to say in the way they need to say it without stopping them or interrupting them. When Ted Fontaine was a boy, he knew only the warm love of his grandparents' home on the Seguin First Nation. But that stopped at age six when he was taken to residential schools in Fort Alexander. And next week, he'll travel to Ottawa, where the TRC is releasing its final
0: report. He joins me on Unreserved. Our home was only two miles away. But I remember the walk to the residential school that first day I was supposed to be incarcerated. We had a veritable who's who as far as on the Aboriginal side. We had uh, you know guys like Wob Canoe, who was a producer before Wob became Wob Canoe. You know, so he was he was just one of the staff people in in there. We have uh, people like Kim Wheeler working on it. You know, who's uh, also producing stuff with CBC. Rosanna Deerchild was one of the performers, and and you know people there who's, who now has her own show. Gosh, every, lots of people. Uh, Angela Starr, who's now like CBC. So a lot of the people who, uh, it was kind of a real good uh, training ground and starting off point for people who, uh, a lot of Aboriginal people, Wabgijic Rice, who have now, uh, you know, gone on to careers in journalism and are really well-known. And, and you know, have even gotten careers on television and CBC radio. So it was really, a, it was really good. I don't know if it, it was so much a training ground or is it just attracted a lot of the Aboriginal talent that were really drawn on To producing segments and working on the show, but it was an it was an amazing Aboriginal crew to work with. I would say the positive the positive moments were um, were far outnumber the the negative ones. I mean, there was very rarely did we get a difficult interview, and, and usually, you know, I, at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I was not used to that sort of journalism style of interviewing. So it, for me, it was it was a really great uh, learning on the job experience. And, you know, I think I improved in my interviewing skills as it went on. But as I started to learn how to interview people, it really became, uh, you know, an exciting sort of like, can we get this person who doesn't want to talk about something to be able to talk about something very personal? And it, it almost, you know, in interviewing, especially in that sort of uh, radio environment is is it's almost like a game it's like it's it's like a contest it's a competition but it's like but it's it's also liberating for the people that you're interviewing as well too like for example uh i was interviewing a uh, native uh rcmp officer in our episode about um you know the relationship between natives and the police, and at the very beginning, it's one of the same the, the where he's you know toying the the party line. He's like saying the official RCMP things about their relationship with the aboriginals, and as the interview goes on, you start to sense that as an abori- his Aboriginalness was really wanting to come out. So it was a matter of guiding the interview so by the end of it this RCMP officer who was like the native liaison for the RCMP by the end of the interview was going like yeah look I'm going to be honest with you man the relationship between aboriginals and the RCMP sucks and and there's so much you know bad stuff that we're doing and, and there's a lot of racism and it's like yeah you're sitting there and you're going oh my gosh I can't believe I was able to guide that interview so we did that uh you know interviews with the with the uh with the military as well too so those were really the exciting the exciting times. Um, but uh, just the amazing people we had come in too. like justice, Murray Sinclair came in like really big politicians who wanted to talk on the show, which it, it really, even though it was, you know, our, it was, the show was really based in humor and entertainment. We really got a lot of, um, a lot of really big names who realized the significance and and that our message was getting out to um, a larger mainstream audience because of the tone and the approach we took to pretty serious Native issues. So I think we had a lot of really great people that wanted to be part of the show.
3: Like history, news is shared by all. The devil is in the details, as they say. If a news item comes from and affects the larger Native community, chances are those same issues affect non-Native nations, directly or indirectly. Our coexistence is a living treaty and the health of that treaty is what makes news. Okay, so the first very humbling surprise is I came into this thinking, oh
2: yeah, I know about Indigenous issues and stories. And I've, you know, I've done a lot of work with Wab Canoe, with Kim Wheeler, with um, uh, summer shows. We had, you know, we, uh, and I've worked with Dave McLeod, and we've done. I go, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know, and I know so little, and I guess the, the as a personal surprise is how much I am learning, and how much. Um, how much uh, and and that's been very humbling and and I still feel like I'm learning number one number two is I what a huge opportunity I have to uh, to uh, on an everyday basis forge you know personal relationships that I'm hoping are part of uh, are part of reconciliation and just really truly deeply understanding how broken things have been and how that brokenness Um, comes into relationships in a different way. So to understand at the beginning how I'm like, why? of course you can trust me. Mm -hmm. And then understanding that I'm in a relationship that also has this huge amount of history to it. So that it's been a huge opening to me about how you build trust. And it doesn't come with saying, you can trust me. It comes with um, every day putting that trust on the table, or as um, my friend Nigan would say, is, um, you know, is entering in that treaty every day, and that treaty is a two-way thing. It's, it's a huge surprise to me, and it's, it's like a deep learning all the time. Yeah, it isn't always easy, but man, it, it, it can be... Uh, it's such an incredible gift. I was thinking when you were on your way over here about what my role is in Indigenous radio uh, is somebody who's not Indigenous. There's a couple of things. I, I'm really, really glad that this is a point in my life where being in my 50s, I've been through being a host. I've been through you know being on the stage. I really, I really don't... I'm very happy to be on the sidelines helping to make things happen, and I think it's a really it's really important role to be putting my ego aside to some extent. I don't mean to say this in a way that sounds sounds righteous or anything, but it's it's really important to think about um, being the person who goes, "What do you need so that you can do your job and to think about um facilitating sort of a whole, uh, not just a new generation, but, but making the pathway clear in a way that it has not been clear, um, so that Indigenous, um, the Indigenous voices that should be telling the story can tell the story. And I, so I, I, but I, and I also think that it's a really important collaboration that my role can often be the one who asks the stupid questions or i don't get that or if we say colonialism like people are just going to be like what's that you know so it's good to have those conversations but really i th- i think it's really important to think about what uh my role like what our role as as allies within broadcasting and i really think it's about um uh, making way and then standing out of the way.
1: Uh, yeah, we've had we've had people um, pick up some of the stuff that we've written. So Muskrat Magazine picked up a story that I wrote. I I have people who are doing schooling, like their masters or their PhD, whatever they focus on. They've they've talked to me about my work and and then they quote me and stuff. And it's kind of weird thinking that the work that you're doing is worthy of being studied academically because that's not how I see my work I just see see me doing something <laughs> I see me doing something as I love and luck, luckily enough I get paid to do what I love and that doesn't seem like you know we're making some huge big change or contributing to some like Conversation that's taking place across the country. We're just, and I'm sure those musicians feel the same way. Like they're just making the music that they love. Actors are just doing what they love. The writers are just doing what they love. And you know, and they're always, you know, it's like the circle. And we're always so grateful for one another. And and they're so, you know, like so many times, people go, "Oh, Kim, you're doing such great work," and we're so grateful for you. And I'm like, well, I thank you, but I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for you guys. <laughs> like, I don't have a job unless you guys are doing something great. Guess then I'm just writing about, you know, ambulances and fire trucks and watermelons mo- falling off the backs of the trucks and blocking traffic, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah like, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, I, I loved yeah. it, yeah. And, yeah, I've uh, guest-hosted things, and people, uh, I think, because of that show, I mean... It, I've I've come in and guest hosted things on CBC since then, um, but I think because our tone was so different from what you get from the standard CBC uh, type of uh, anchor or uh, radio show host, it was so different that I don't think people were sort of see me as uh, as a CBC uh, typical CBC radio host. We were sort of the. Uh, I don't know. We were sort of the outlaws. We were sort of the rebels at CBC, and and it would be like people would listen to their CBC programs, and then we'd come on, and, and people would be driving, you know, down the Transcan and go, "What is this?" You know. <laughs> so we were so different. So I, I don't think I've really uh, would be considered a CBC radio host, even though I was on a very popular show on CBC. So I've been. I've been had a lot of experience with guest hosting, and I think people really enjoy me as an interview subject because I, I know how radio works, I know how interviews work, and I, I, speak in, uh, I speak in sound bites, which I think people really enjoy.
2: Well, I think that intimacy is part of radio. Um, I think the kind of intimacy and, and conversation that we have on Unreserved has a huge amount to do with, with a very big talent, which is Rosanna Dearchild and her ability to get people comfortable. I'll tell you, like last week, somebody phoned from another CBC region and said, we did this interview um, with this with this woman um, from, from a First Nation that's fairly far up north. Um, she was amazing, but she was really nervous. And I think that Rosanna should interview her because I think that Rosanna will make her feel really comfortable and you're going to get a great story. That tells you a bit about the kind of... Um, I think that is a bit about maybe what makes indigenous reporting different, is an understanding that building trust is huge, and that it could take a bit of time. So I think it brings there. There is an intimacy in that. There's an acknowledgement that that. Uh, Uh, there's been a lot of good reason not to trust media and not to talk. So what we want to do is build a relationship of trust, which is part of, we will honor your story. I would like to add
1: that we are sitting on the porch of the Wheeler home. It's been the Wheeler home since like 1977. Um, my husband, Jordan, his mother, Bernalda Wheeler was, um, she was probably one of the first Female voices um, in mainstream radio. She lived in this house um, when she was working at CBC Radio down the street, and and she did. You know, she she was one of the hosts of Our Native Land. So for ten years, you know, she worked in. You know, she worked in media. She she was an actor. She was a writer. She was a storyteller, and and I get to you know live in her house. And do the things that, you know, she was doing. Like, and I've been told that that I'm continuing her work, and that's really powerful. Like, you're going, whoa! Like people she had on her show, I have interviewed on the shows that I've produced, and and they they say, you know, you're continuing Brunelle Wheeler's work, and I'm just like, oh, that's you know, that's a that's, those are big shoes to fill, and that's a lot of. Um, a lot of stress mm. to carry. Mm. To think, I I better do my best to make um, a woman like that proud. Hello, my name is Bernelda Wheeler. At this special season of the year, Christians celebrate the birth of Christ and renew their faith in the philosophy he taught. Native people also have their teachers, their philosophy, and their stories to pass from one generation to the next. As the Christmas story is shared, we also share in the stories and legends of our people. We'll hear from storytellers like Maria Campbell of Saskatchewan, (coughs) Basil Johnson of Ontario, Donald Kageluk of Inuvik, and others, all on our native land this Christmas season.
3: Indians on the Airwaves radio series is made possible by CFUBFM and the CRFC Radiometer's Fund. My name is Janet Rogers, producer of Indians on the Airwaves. Thanks for listening.